Oh, am I excited for this episode. I didn't know this was going to happen. I heard rumors, but ABBA is back. They haven't made an album since 82. It's been nearly 40 years. One of the most successful bands ever. And they're back. They have a new album coming out. They have this new virtual reality. It's like almost like CGI experience. It's going to be in London. It might start touring. We'll see. But they recreated themselves to look younger, to perform a 90-minute performance. It's so cool. And to help us celebrate the return of the Dancing Queens, we have Ingmarie Halling, who is the curator of ABBA the Museum, because ABBA has a museum in Stockholm that they didn't really want. And we'll talk about that. She has so many stories because she went on tour with ABBA in the 70s. So she's going to tell us what it was like to be on tour with them at the height of their fame, at the peak of their powers, about what it was like traveling around the world with ABBA, what it was like when they broke up, because she knows them well, and she was there for that too. She'll tell us about how they record and about my favorite part is actually, uh, well, two things. One, the legal, we'll call it, that's not a battle. We'll call it like a little scuff, a little, little discussion ABBA had to get into to get their name from something else in Sweden. And we'll get to that. And more importantly, I'm also going to read her some lyrics that people get wrong, our favorite thing to do around here. And she'll react to some of the lyrics people get wrong with ABBA songs. So without further ado, here is Ingmarie Halling and here's Jungle Fiction. <laughs> Hey, welcome to your old soul, Speedy. The old phrase of the day is not up to us. And I'll get to that in a second. We are celebrating the return after about four decades of one of the greatest bands ever, one of you and I's favorite bands ever, ABBA. And helping us to celebrate is the ABBA, the museum. Speedy, did you know that ABBA has a museum in Stockholm? Oh, yes. And I wish that Los Angeles was a bit closer to Stockholm so that I could go. Oh, I weep. It's true. You're on the, like, <laughs> the opposite side of the world. Yeah. <laughs> That's not fair. All right, well, we'll bring you closer today and all of our audience as well. We have Ingmarie Halling, the creative director and curator of ABBA, the museum. She also went on tour with them in the 70s, and we'll get to that later. But Ingmarie, could you please, we always start our show off with a phrase from another era, another place we want to learn. Is there a Swedish phrase that you think we would like to learn and use in America more often? Whoa, that one I should have had a little bit more. Sorry, I probably should have put that in my email to you. <laughs> I, I could think of a lot, but, you know, as you ask me, I can't. Let, let, let that hang. Oh, yeah. I think at any point during the interview, you could just say, stop. Right. Right. I've got it. Right. <laughs> I will do that. So not everybody in America knows that ABBA has a museum, which is amazing how long has the museum been in existence now? Uh, we opened it 2013 but i need to say that it's not abba that has the museum because they said no from start to have a museum uh, i mean they said no like 100 times and they said uh, no we're still alive you can't have a museum when you're still up up and about that's for dead people like tutankhamun <laughs> or something uh, but um, we, we uh, convinced them that this was the right thing to do. And so many people, uh, tourists, asked for, uh, for an ABBA museum. Uh, so it felt a bit embarrassing that we didn't have one. Now it's there. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, for people overseas that maybe don't know that much about Sweden, when you think of Sweden, you think of Volvo cars, but even before Volvo cars, you think of ABBA. For me, ABBA is, is number one. <laughs> yeah, they used to say uh, IKEA, Volvo cars, and uh, ABBA. <laughs> so, you know, for us over here, ABBA is already a huge deal. But in Sweden, like, are they bigger than the Beatles? Like, how big is ABBA for Sweden? Oh, not at all. Not at all. Uh, ABBA, ABBA has never been big in Sweden in that way. You know, Swedes are very special. Uh, I don't know how to explain the Swedes for you, but there is a reason why famous people coming to Sweden think it's very nice to walk around in the streets because no one cares. And that's not maybe just because they don't care as such, but they, they, they want to leave people, you know, so they can be themselves and, and just walk the streets and uh, not being hassled by uh, autograph hunters or whatever it is. So they haven't been big in Sweden, not in the 70s and not now, but we are very proud of ABBA. I mean, when Swedes go abroad, if they go to America and friends are talking about um, uh, ABBA there, uh, then they are very proud and, and love to talk about ABBA, but not in Sweden, not when they're at home. That's strange. So they're like a sibling almost. Right. Like you just, you think of them as your neighbor. You don't think of them as the international icon. Exactly. Exactly. That's a good way of seeing it. <laughs> well, this is mind blowing for me, at least personally, because the celebrity culture in America mm. is so insane. I mean, I don't know. Some people live their whole lives tracking the lives of, of other people. <laughs> and it's, it's very refreshing to, to know that in Sweden, it's, it, it's not that way. Yeah, you know, there, there is, um, we don't have paparazzis, for, for one thing. Um, they, they can't make a living here <laughs> because they, they never get around to taking photos in, in, in that paparazzi way, if you see what I mean. And one good example of this is uh, just, um, I think it was last spring, when ABBA, the four members were in Stockholm for five weeks. Uh, at one place in Stockholm to do the motion capture filming. I mean, every day for five weeks, that's never heard of in their career. They came to this one studio in the central of town and there was no media at all that understood this. Um, they could have had quite a few nice shots if they would have wanted. So that's how it goes in Sweden. <laughs> I need to move to Sweden. I'm so sick of paparazzi following me all the time no. Ingmarie. Of course. I can totally see that yeah you're... yeah i know you know you're across the atlantic yeah. but here can't go anywhere nah. just come you're welcome <laughs> i can fix you up with the museum you can get a job there thank you i would love to go to... well i'm glad you mentioned that because I, I would at least like to know what's there if i'm going to work there so what are some of the exhibits at the abba museum my favorite part that i saw online is that you can basically like virtually insert yourself into a concert with them well, the, you know, 
if you, if you're gonna do a museum, you can go about that in in so many different ways. Um, I thought of this group as the most photographed group in the world, which it is, we think. Uh, which means uh, people, the the visitors have seen them, and the fans obviously have seen them on covers, videos, uh, news, uh, whatever, um, on stage, but they never seen the other side of being an ABBA. What is it like when they are in their summer house out on the island and making Dancing Queen in a little outhouse? Uh, and how, how is it uh, in the studio when they are recording or in the office when they are discussing with uh, Stick and Anderson about uh, uh, releases and stuff like that. Or in the dressing room, which I made a nice setting from the dressing room on tour, uh, you know, with perfume and mascara and slippers thrown all over the place and stuff like that. That makes it more for real. Uh, and I like that. Uh, I like that we are showing a, a very upfront display of ABBA. This is what their life was like. That's really cool because especially their onstage personas are so larger than life mm -hmm. and they have these, you know, crazy, crazy costumes to see what they're like behind all the glitz and the glamour. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, people like that because I hear them say afterwards that, wow, I didn't think it was gonna be like this. Uh, they expect that, as you very often do in a museum, you expect things in a, in a glass box with a little caption and you know how it is. Uh, and that's not how we do this. We have so many items and artifacts so it's easier to build a setting around the original items than to have them in glass boxes i know that the new like movie museum in la is going to have like the typewriter that alfred hitchcock typed psycho on and they're going to have like <laughs> dorothy's red shoes what random relics or pieces of abba history are you going to have in those glass cases well, you mean what I would like to have in a glass case? I mean, I would love to know the answer to that, but I meant like what ABBA artifacts do you have in the museum? Oh, what are cool to see? Have? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite a lot, quite a lot. I don't know what to, I, I mean, there is some, some costumes missing that, that I know is out there somewhere. Um, well, you're missing costumes? Yes. Definitely. Listen up, everybody. Everyone at home, listen up. There are some missing costumes. I'm assuming they're extremely shiny. So if you see a glittery unitard, it might be a stolen ABBA piece. Please report it to us immediately if you're an old soul at gmail.com. Do you know which one specifically you're missing? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know exactly. Um, I miss, uh, I miss uh, some costumes from the, the really early days sort of a jumpsuit uh, that Agneta had that was pink with a heart uh, over her stomach. So you could see Oh, that. I've seen that in pictures, yeah. yes. Yeah. And Frida had a, the same kind of jumpsuit with um, 
in, in snake skin, you know, fake snake skin. And these two must be somewhere. You don't throw them away. I know the ABBA members have thrown a lot of stuff away. And um, their kids have used the costumes for, for mas masquerades and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. It hurts. Well, all right. Everybody, if you see a costume with a heart or it's made of snake skin, please report it. If you're an old soul at gmail.com, let us know if you find it. Uh, you mentioned the early days. I wanted to get to that because I had read, and I don't know if this is true. So if I'm wrong, in America, we just go, ah, and you could just say, ah, that's wrong. I had read that their first <laughs> album, Ring Ring, that they had to do phonetically. Like they, they didn't speak English yet, and they just learned what they would have to say oh that's wrong okay so they spoke english by the time they made ring ring you know swedes learn to speak english in third grade they are nine years old when they learn to speak english and after two or three more years they have to learn a third language like german or french or or whatever language spanish so um swedes speak fairly good English from very young age. And so did they, absolutely. Oh, wow. Because I've heard it tossed around that um, ABBA is considered the first group from a non-English speaking country to have such huge widespread, widespread success in English speaking countries. But to know that everybody is, is very well versed in English and they learn it around third grade, mm -hmm. I go, what they they speak english what <laughs> <laughs> but you know why don't everyone teach their kids from from uh, one and two years old uh, uh, one more language they they easily pick that up i mean if you have two if you have um, like my daughter and her partner they speak english or swedish and they have a little boy he's now 11 months and he hears Swedish and English all the time. So, of course, he will be bilingual when he starts talking. What's his name? Nilo. Nilo. N-I-L-O. Nilo. Nilo. Oh, Nilo. Okay, so they make Ring Ring in 72, 3. It has moderate success. But then they go on, the is it the Eurovision songwriting competition? Mm -hmm. And not songwriting. Like, uh, like I think not songwriting. Uh, oh, <laughs> tell me. The, the Euro, Eurovision Song Contest, ESC. Eurovision Song Contest mm -hmm. with Waterloo, and that explodes. And mm -hmm. in did you care yet in Sweden? Because in America we cared a lot. You did. Then. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't alive, but I've heard good things. <laughs> <laughs> Like, well, uh, you, you've reframed how I feel about it because I just assumed that ABBA was the biggest thing ever in Sweden and all of Europe. But th did it occur to you guys that they were going to be an international success at that point? No. The, neither did they until, well, yeah, after, after the win in Brighton with Waterloo, they, they actually started thinking this could be a ticket out uh, in Europe. And uh, the... The record company boss, Stickan Anderson, who also was a part of the uh, writing the lyrics from the start, he, um, he was ahead of his time 
I would say, because he did press kits and uh, sent out the, the single Waterloo to all the radio stations in, in Europe, the, the major ones. So uh, without them asking for it. Uh, but as soon as ABBA won, all the record stations had the single on their desk, not two weeks later. So he, he managed to push the, the marketing piece very fast and very solid all over the place. So I think that was a big deal in the success as well. I mean, major thing is the song and... and uh, their their visual, their, the looks and everything. <laughs> so how how does that work? He sends it to all the different stations in Europe, but it's a version of them singing in English. So do all these European stations play songs that are in English? Because it's hard to have a universal language in a continent with so many different countries next to each other. Well, they 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 had the song in Swedish and in English. And they would play the English version in different countries in Europe. Yeah. We are so, Speedy, we're so lame in America. We only yeah. speak one language and we can't fathom other ones. We're so myopic. Oh, yeah. Right. And all of us <laughs> attempted to maybe learn a second language in high school and promptly right. forgot all of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you. I studied French for six years and I would be terrified of trying to speak French in France. It would be a disaster. <laughs> Let alone have a singing career with it. Yeah. Hey, Maria, how many languages do you speak? Well, I speak a little German and a little French and uh, obviously English and Swedish. But then, you know, when you live in, in the Nordic countries, you know you know Norwegian and, and uh, Danish as well. So, Ingmarie, when did you start working with the band? Well, my... my um, boyfriend at the time we spent uh, 10 years together in the 70s he was the guitarist for ABBA so he was touring with them and also playing on the records and uh, he was on tour with ABBA 75 in Sweden and uh, that's when I met them the first time and uh, I became good friends with both Frida and Agneta, but mostly Frida, we, we spend a lot of time together. And uh, when in 76, or end of 76, or beginning of 77, she called me and asked if I wanted to come along on the tour to Australia for doing makeup and costume and hair, because that's what I did back then. And uh, I was at that time working with a ballet company and we were going to uh, what they called at that time Soviet Union, <laughs> the uh, Russia today. Uh, and right, right. I, TBT. <laughs> and I thought that, well, I think I prefer uh, Australia before Soviet Union. So I said, yes, thank you. That would make sense. That makes totally sense. <laughs> and I, I'm Russian, and I confirm that I would much rather be in Australia. <laughs> Especially at that time, you know, 77 in Soviet Union. Uh, that was, yeah. So I know Dancing Queen, which is their only U.S. Billboard hot number one hit, 
comes out in 77. So did you join just before like they were absolute superstars and then it happened while you were on tour or was it, they already extremely big by that point? No, when we left for Australia, I mean, they were obviously big because you don't go to Australia on a big sponsored tour by Qantas and, and whatever not, if you're not big and selling so many records. Uh, so they were big, but I think no one expected to see how big they were when we came there. You know, it's like, I think it's only the Beatles that has had, that have had people uh, in the streets from the airport into the city of Melbourne. Uh, it was crazy. It was so much people everywhere and they sort of, yeah, it, everyone was a bit, wow, is this happening? Is there something else that they are cheering or is it really? I know that Alice Cooper was staying in the same hotel as we did in, uh, I think it was Adelaide or somewhere. Yeah, I think it was Adelaide. And um, he was lying in his bed in the afternoon uh, resting. And he heard, he heard like, you know, um, we want Alice. He thought they said, we want Alice. Oh. <laughs> we want Abba. No. So he came out and he was sort of waving to the people. And, <laughs> but it was the people upstairs. It was the Abba they were shouting for. <laughs> so... The, I love that. Oh, no more Mr. Nice Guy. Uh. <laughs> I love that Alice Cooper would go out waving his hands to the fans, but I'm sure everyone in ABBA was huddled in the hotel like, we're not used to the paparazzi. Oh, my gosh. Everyone, leave us yeah, alone. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That must have been weird for them. It was weird. And, uh, I mean, it was like that both in... Uh, Australia and in Japan, um, they they couldn't really. I mean, we we in the crew could go out and go in the streets and go for nice rides and uh, things, but they couldn't. I know that I I got to play Agneta at one point. I think it was in Japan, just getting out from the big hotel entrance into a car and scoot off. So all the fans left outside the hotel because they thought that she had left it was only me <laughs> they sent you out as the Anyetta decoy so she could yeah. get into a different car that's a compliment yeah. right they're like hey you look like Anyetta. i mean that's that's very flattering it, it was flattering <laughs> wow there might be some people who from Australia who are listening to our podcast who are shocked to learn that when they were waiting there, it was not Kenyatta. <laughs> didn't really mean her. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So, Abba, I mean, you know, her and I weren't alive. This podcast is for people who are obsessed with the time before us and for other people our age who wish they could have been alive then. We want to understand it. So, Abba is on top of the world. And obviously, it's based on two relationships that are slowly not working out. And by the time they had their last album in 82, for you and you personally knew them, were you like, oh, this is going to be their last time? Like, they're just, it's going to happen soon that they'll just stop recording? Mm -hmm. 
uh, when they did the last um, album, The Visitors, uh, I was working on the, the photo shoot of that uh, cover. I don't know if you can remember the cover of The, the Visitors. It's a beautiful cover. Uh, and no, it was not happy days. And every, they came to the session and uh, polite uh, towards each other as they have always been, but there was no joy and it was a bit of a, you know, no energy, uh, not fun, just something you have to do. And I guess I didn't think of it that much at that point, more than, yeah, well, I guess this is it, or maybe it's just a bad day or whatever not. But the more time has, uh, past, I think of, you know, artists, whether you're a painter, a musician, a dancer, uh, whatever you are uh, in the artistic world, sometimes you have to break new paths, if you see what I mean. If you are a painter and always have painted the abstract art, maybe you need to explore something new in order to get your energy back, to make it fun again. And I'm quite sure that even if they hadn't been divorced or anything like that, they would have had to try something else in the music world. I mean, if it's musicals or symphonic music or whatever, they needed to do something new. But that said, if you take the, the giant step over to today, where they made new songs today, there's a lot of things that has passed through these years. But what they say now is that it was amazingly fun to make new music uh, and to record it. They had so much fun in the studio. So, it wasn't a mistake. It was just, they had been through so much in 82. They, they needed to have a break and to do something else and, and try something more than three, four minute music. So they made musicals, at least the guys did. That's my little private theory anyway. <laughs> I think there are a few theories that could be better than yours. I think you have the most research. Well, I guess there are some else, some other people that has done a lot of research, but I'm I'm not the one that can say to you that uh, that album was uh, released twenty uh, fourth of August um, <laughs> in, in different countries. That's not my expertise. My expertise is more of the persons and their lives, and if I don't know things, I don't talk about them. So. What I talk about is something that I know. <laughs> That's a good rule of thumb. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling that to the staff in the museum. If people come asking questions about the group and you don't know the answers, don't, don't, don't make it up. Just right. say, I'm sorry, I don't know. I, I can come back to you, find out and come back, but don't, don't make any new myths or... You know, don't create anything that is not true. Yeah, that should be a rule of thumb for everybody. 
this is making me question all of my previous museum experiences. Wait, do they sometimes make <laughs> things up <laughs> just to please me? Oh, it's like a parent, right? <laughs> but you can imagine if if I say something in the museum to the staff, one little sentence that um, Frida takes something not so crazy, but she, she loves scuba diving. She doesn't scuba dive, but if I would say that, that enhances. So after a while, she's she's an expert scuba diver. Just mm. because I said mm -hmm. it in the right. it snowballs. In America, our phrase for that is snowballing. It it grows and grows <laughs> as it rolls down the hill. Have you have you thought of a Swedish phrase yet to teach us? <laughs> snowball. 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 Snow. Snowball. Snowball. S-N-O with two dots. Okay, thank you. So, we learned a phrase, Speedy. We did it. We learned the phrase. I really want to talk about the new album and the project. They're doing their avatars. It's like a virtual experience in London to go with the album, Voyager. How long has this been in the works for? How long have you known that they were going to get back together and do something again? Well, um, I've known about the songs for, uh, I think it, the, the, the two songs that came, came now. I knew, I heard them uh, for between two and three years ago. And uh, then they, they um, did a video. That's when I heard the, the, these songs. But uh, at that time, they, uh, it wasn't uh, the, the, the purpose of making a whole album. They were going to make one or two songs to have in this uh, Avatar concert. But um, that led up to the fact that both Bjorn and Benny thought it was so fun to do this um, music again. Uh, so they said to the girls, "If if you guys would love to sing some more, we can we can we can do that. We can do some more songs." And they both said yes. Uh, so they they work very dem in a democratic way in that group. If one says no, then it doesn't happen. Whatever it is, and it has been like that from start. So there is not one person or someone from the record company or anyone that tells them what to do if wow. they don't feel like it. Well, because I know that they were being yeah. asked to tour again, I think around 2000. And um, I heard, and this sounds mm -hmm. wild, so I, I don't know if you can confirm if this is true or not, but that they actually turned down a billion dollars to tour again? Yeah, that's that's... Correct. That was uh, for doing, uh, I don't know how many concerts, but it was quite a lot. And also all, all the things that comes with it, you know, the press conferences and uh, everything mm -hmm. that they disliked, you know, from, from, from their career. They love doing music, singing, playing, meeting the audience, mm -hmm but they hated the rest. 
So it would have been more of the same of what they weren't enjoying when they stopped the first time. And um, yeah, wow. It's amazing to me too, that since they do things democratically that they were, you know, if they were offered a billion dollars, but one of them said, I'm not feeling up to it, that the group wouldn't, wouldn't have done it, wouldn't have taken it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's probably what happened. That's probably what happened. One of them said, "Mm, not really up for this. That's this. I don't Mm. know. This is only my, my theory. I haven't asked. Right. Right. I just, just um, guess that it's someone, you know, there's always someone who doesn't want to, and someone that wants to, whatever it is. Do, do they have no plans then to tour at all? It's just going to be, they drop the album, the virtual reality experience in London, and that's it? No, no touring physically, no. But maybe the, a tour with these avatars. If the technique, right now, today, the technique is, is too tricky to move around. But uh, as we have extremely much technique in the museum, I know that that also... Um, uh, what do you say? It, it it becomes better and easier and lighter and uh, you know it's not so tricky to do things. So maybe in three years uh, they might be able to just have the concert on a USB stick and just travel around. Wow, it's the opposite um, of snowballs. <laughs> yeah. Become smaller. Anti snowball <laughs> consolidates. I mean, that's incredible technology, though, for them to, yeah, yeah, to actually act out the whole concert. Like I was reading that they had a whole bunch of cameras, and it's really them performing, but just making them look like the nineteen seventy nine version of themselves. Yeah, that's exactly what I told you about from the beginning. This motion capture uh, filming film shoot they did for five weeks that's that's what they did at that time uh, in overalls with the little dots everywhere and a helmet with a a camera that is this close to your eyes that that sees every little move you do in your face uh, and that technique is quite old this is what the the all the computer gaming um uh, gamers are playing with you know the the um, 3d technique yeah so it's it's not new but it's right would you say this is the first time it's been used for a live performance uh type of event though no not really but the ones that have done this before i think michael jackson did one song Mm. It's one thing to have the 3D animators work on one song and to make 90 minutes with four persons. Yeah. That's something different. So it's quite amazing yeah. what they have done. So with their, the new songs, like they did Don't Shut Me Down, I Still Have Faith in You, and they'll have more on the album. Do you think that Benny and Bjorn just had like a draw full of songs like a drawer full of songs that like they wrote and they were like maybe one day if Abbott gets back together we'll do these songs that they had like a 
just a, a back burner almost in case it ever happened? Or did they write these just because they were ready to make music together again? That's such a good question. Uh, and yes, uh, I know that after the album, The Visitors, they were supposed to make another album later. So they started working on that album, but it didn't happen. So they just, they just, uh, I don't know what to, what to say. They, they just uh, skipped the whole idea and um, left to do something else. Uh, so I, I'm quite sure that somewhere in Benny's, not drawers, but in his, uh, <laughs> the memory in his synth, <laughs> there is some, some pieces of uh, songs. Uh, that he has saved. Um, but I also know, and this I know for sure, every day, if he's not ill, he goes to his office, his little studio in Stockholm, and plays his piano. That's what he do every day, because he, uh, he would probably die if he didn't play the piano. That's such a big thing for him to play the piano. And if you do that, if you sit there and just just play along, not it doesn't have to be a special song. Just use the tones, and uh, suddenly, suddenly you hear something. Oh, that that was a nice little tweak of something, and then he does it again, and suddenly it's a longer chunk of melody. Uh, so that's that's how he comes up with this special embryon of of uh, songs that he does. And then when Bjorn adds his absolutely, for me, outstanding uh, lyrics, um, then it it sort of matches together as the girls' voices matches together. So. Match made in heaven, huh? Yeah, I'm glad they came back. <laughs> is there is there a process nowadays, you think, uh, similar to how they used to do things? I mean, not just in the way that they get uh, inspired, like you were just describing, but I also heard that they were um, pretty big perfectionists in the studio, and they would record, mm -hmm. record, and, and do it and do it until it was perfect and they wouldn't leave till it was done <laughs> are, are they still that way that's exactly exactly um i know that i talked to uh per lindvall the guy who plays the drums on this new album uh, he also played the drums on the last album i talked to him yesterday and he said it was just as fun uh now as it was then and the procedure was the same and um, i think that uh, as it was back then they could start with a, a little piece of melody and uh, just tr they did try the melody in different uh, tempos and different styles they started with one thing in the morning, tried different things over the day, and in the end of the day, they came back to that thing that they started with, 
and oh yeah that this is it okay now we have tried everything we have turned every stone and this is what we will do um, so there was not uh, you know pieces of a paper with notes to everyone and this is how you're going to play it uh, it was more like a jamming session and then someone comes up with a riff on the guitar or something on a on the bass that that sort of lifts the song yeah that's a nice way of doing it i think yeah yeah it sounds very um wholesome and like they work together they mm -hmm. each have their niche and they contribute mm -hmm. it that you don't hear that with other bands yeah. um yeah. i also love as a listener i now know that there's never any question if we're listening to the best version of what the song could possibly be scientifically they tried every variation and this is the best one <laughs> yeah yeah um Ing that's nice Ing marie um we one and we'll, we'll wrap up soon one thing we love to do in this podcast is we like to look up and ask people our viewers to, to send us the lyrics that they have always gotten wrong so we did some with abba and we looked up on the internet and asked people lyrics that they've always gotten wrong with ABBA ones but before I read some of them to you to see what you think of them are there any guesses you have for different lyrics that people have always gotten wrong in ABBA songs not in ABBA songs um, you know for, for me uh, back in the day I was a Beatles fan I listened to Beatles I listened to Deep Purple uh, Frank Zappa I was more to that rock and roll scene, so um, yeah, I didn't I didn't uh, listen to the Abba songs in that way from the start, you know where you start making another lyric out of what you just hear. So no, I I'm sorry I can't say that, but I know every Beatles song that I heard as a you know young teenager i made up silly words that didn't exist and i still sing them like that that's terrible <laughs> can you think of one if you thought about it of a beatles song you always sing wrong on purpose come up with all these questions that I, I would like to have them i'm sorry i'm sorry i know <laughs> i didn't i didn't know that i would ask you about abba and then you would say i prefer deep purple i just didn't see that coming i'm sorry <laughs> I don't know. At you... That time, I did prefer Deep Purple. What about Deep Purple? At that time, I did prefer Deep Purple because yeah. you you rocked. It sounded like you rocked really hard in the seventies. Eagles and uh, Jackson Brown and that kind of music. Ooh. Do you think anyone has prettier hair than you know? I'm getting off topic. We don't have to talk about Jackson <laughs> Brown's hair. Okay. Ing <laughs> Marie, I have lyrics for you. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> um one okay i would say the number one thing i found that people don't know the words to is the last line of the chorus of dancing queen a lot of people think that they're saying chicken the dancing queen no one knows what that that word is it they think chicken the dancing queen have you had that problem a lot people don't know it's digging no well i haven't I haven't, but I, I hear that you now when you say it, it could be that way. 
I, I speedy i think for a long time i didn't have that right either for most of my life i didn't know they were saying digging the dancing queen it's just a 70s phrase we don't use anymore oh yeah i think for a long time i thought it was sort of um you know almost like scat it's like the dancing queen <laughs> so you didn't think it was a word I didn't think it you was thought a they word. were just just saying sounds <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, okay. Dancing uh, Queen has always been. Yeah. It's always been the word. It's a phrase from the '70s. We don't use as much. Uh, another thing from Dancing Queen, people think instead of saying "feel the beat of the tambourine," that they're saying "feel the meat of the tangerine." <laughs> Can you, That's hilarious. Do you do you give that any? come up with that it's what they hear you know there's a lot of music and instruments it's hard to make it out especially you know on like a transistor radio in the 70s and i well why didn't we do that should have done tangerine just think it could have been number one again <laughs> just use the tangerine instead. can you imagine if that was playing in grocery stores while people are feeling the fruit ah the meat yes. of the tangerine yes. <laughs> by the way Ingmarie, this isn't a lyric, but did you? I wasn't bad commercial. <laughs> if only could have done a commercial with Tropicana. Did you know, Ingmarie, that a lot of people thought in America that Abba was the Hebrew word for father, which it is, that they thought that's where the name came from? Had you heard that before? No, I haven't. No, no, it's just that um, um, we have um, a company in Sweden that makes uh, cans with herring. Of course. <laughs> very good, I must say. Very, very good um, product. And they, um, when ABBA was going to take their name, it was the same name as the, the company uh, who made the herring. It's called ABBA. So ABBA, the group, had to write to the company, the herring company, to ask them if it was okay that they named this group ABBA. And they, they wanted to think about it. And after a while they came back and said, yes, you can use the name, but we don't want you to misuse um, it or, or drag our name in the dirt or something like that. And they said, no, we promise we'll take care of your name. I think the company is quite happy about this whole yeah. idea <laughs> now. I, I can't think of anything more Swedish than ABBA just being named after a herring can instead. <laughs> I wish it wasn't an acronym of their names. I, I wish it was named after a can of herring. <laughs> that would have been so perfect. Um. Okay, a couple more for you, Ingmarie, and then, then we'll wrap up. Because mm -hmm. we should mention everybody that Ingmarie is extremely nice and that when we started recording this, it was uh, like 8 p.m. in Sweden. So we appreciate you taking some time out of your night to talk to us. I love to do this. Oh, well, thank you. Okay. It's great. Okay. It's nice to talk, you know, not, not a short interview that is... Uh... You know, you have to meet up the time frame for this little clip or whatever it right. is. So this is nice. Well, then that's why I started this podcast because I work in television and all my interviews are always four minutes. And if you're telling me it takes 45 minutes to learn that ABBA had to ask a herring company to use their name, <laughs> I'm going to only do podcasts. <laughs> I mean, that's 
I've never Speedy. Have you ever seen that on the internet? I've never seen that once. Oh no. You have you have to uh, Google uh, the herring company ABBA in Sweden, and you see it's it's really really funny that that uh, this actually took place. Uh, it's a very good company, and it's exquisite uh, herring. It's like the best you can get. <laughs> do you do you have that letter in the museum of them sending a letter yeah. to ABBA? That's in the museum. I have um, I have. Um, uh, a very funny little um, uh, illustration from from a magazine from that days, from the days of seventy five or something, where where you can see Abba on on the cover of this um, uh, jar of herring. <laughs> so it says Abba the herring. Wow, it's <laughs> <laughs> quite funny. I see if I can find it and send it to you on the email. I would, I would love that. I, I would, I would use it um, when we post about this. So everyone can see it at home. That's incredible. Um, did you, did you know, Marie, that a lot of people think that the words to "Honey, I'm still free" and "Take a chance on me" is "Adios, Siegfried." <laughs> what? I this is crazy. I haven't no. Well, a lot of people think that so. Maybe there should be an exhibit in the museum that's just the lyrics so they can get them right. <laughs> yeah, well, can you come and co-curate and we will make sure we will do that. <laughs> Thank you. Clearly, I, I need it. Uh, wow. I Everybody, <laughs> since the world has started to open back up again, we can finally travel again. I think my first destination has to be Stockholm, Sweden. Thanks to Ingmarie. Um, Ingmarie, thank you so much for your time, taking part of your evening to tell us young Americans about what it was like <laughs> to be with ABBA in the 70s and what it's like to be with them now. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. It was a true pleasure. And uh, I'm looking forward to enroll you in the staff um, <laughs> of the museum. Uh, at any time, you can just come and practice for a few days and make next podcast there. And I'll teach everyone about feeling the meat of the tangerine. <laughs> I'm hired. <laughs> oh, that's great. Nice talking to you guys. Really.